Hello and good evening to the premiere edition of Toasted Tavern. I am your host, Michael Wags Wagon Connect, joined alongside by my better half, Scott Tobin. Scott, man, how are you doing tonight and how excited are you to be back? It's good to be back, man. It's good to see you. We haven't uh, we haven't really seen each other a whole lot for a while, but it's good to be back. It's good to be doing this. And uh, we even color coordinated tonight, man, which is which is the best part, right? Rocking the, the best part? Oh, the powder blues, and unfortunately, we're the only two on this Cardinal team that seem to be clicking at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, We're going to talk a little about that, uh, about what the Cardinals might potentially be doing here in the next couple of weeks, because, you know, it is somehow getting close to the trade deadline. I don't know how that's possible, but it is. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the NHL playoffs. We've got some St. Louis connections we're going to talk about there. Uh, A local football player is in trouble at this exact moment. We'll talk a little bit about that. The NCAA had... Uh, let's just say their bubble bursted by the Supreme Court today. And uh, the NBA, uh, the playoffs, the Final Four, man, something we probably haven't seen, well, really ever, uh, the, the four teams that are left. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But we, we have to start off with the St. Louis Cardinals because this team is is an enigma. And we're at a point now where what do the Cardinals do? Where do they go from here? And, and as you can see by our graphic, uh, that might be a trade. That might be a managerial change. Or, if you, you don't see him, but up in the corner is John Mozalak somewhere up there. Maybe maybe he might be going somewhere as well. But uh, let's talk a little bit about what the Cardinals are at right now. They're 36-36. and 36. They sit fourth in the Central. Yet, they're still just four games out of first place. They have a minus 32 run differential right now. That is... Uh, egregious, I'll put it that way. You know, this team has been one that has always been at level or positive in the run differential. Uh, and it's it's not so much because the pitching has been bad. Pitching's been average, which with the question marks that this team has had, you're okay with that for a little bit. I mean, now you're getting to the point where you, you want to see more. And, and the bullpen struggled a little bit as well. There's a lot of question marks there. There's question marks on the offensive side of things as well, but they've had to deal with some injuries. But, Scott, where, where do you see this team at right now? And what's the next step in the process for them to improve? You're, you're right, man. It's crazy. You know, and to hear that they've got a negative 27 run differential – is nuts because about a month ago they were positive like 33. So it just tells you that the offense has gone and it's just completely disappeared. And for the most part, the pitching hasn't been that bad, even though the run differential has gone that way. I mean, we've seen the games where Carlos Martinez has blown up, but other than that, for the most part, for the last couple of weeks, the rest of the pitching staff has kind of, has kind of settled down. I mean, we've seen Wayno be Wayno and take, and take control of this thing. Um, KK has been decent, I guess. You, you definitely want to see him get more than four or five innings, but he, he's been okay. Um, you know, Johnny Gant's kind of a Houdini on the mound for the most part. So, you know, there's places you can add to that rotation to make it better. You could go get something to fix that bullpen. You know, and the thing that we talked about, you know, before the season started when everybody thought the pitching staff was going to be the uh, rock of this ball club, you know, you may have to look at going to add a bat again. So, you know, I mean, you could look at all three of those aspects of this team and say, you know, you could add a starter, you could add a bullpen piece, or you could add a bat to try to make this team uh, better again. And the crazy thing, Wags, is that through all this, they're only four and a half games out of first place. 
That's the most unbelievable thing. It just shows you how I would say poor the central is. I don't think it's a poor division. I just think it's one of those where every team is kind of evenly matched. They all have question marks. And right now all the question marks are struggling. And, and to touch on the pitching, I mean, yeah, the pitching hasn't been bad. I mean, Adam Wainwright, especially yesterday was phenomenal in his start against Atlanta, but this team doesn't have a shutdown pitcher. I mean, Jack Flaherty's out with an oblique injury. We're, we're hoping he's going to come back sooner rather than later. But even when he was in, this team still, they're 26 out of 30 in strikeouts per nine innings at 8.32. They're the worst in walks per nine at 4.44. I mean, they're, they're getting people on base and they're not striking guys out. And, you know, that leads you to the question of, you know, what guys could you go out there and get that might be able to improve those kinds of numbers? I mean, obviously names like Max Scherzer have been, have been thrown out, Jose Barrios, Michael Pineda, uh, Kyle Gibson is another guy that's been thrown out there, a guy that we had on one of our shows. Uh, you know, are these guys ones that could come in and maybe make a difference? And if that's the case, who do you have to give up to get those guys? Yeah, I mean, you can definitely – you can definitely bring one of those guys in and they make a huge difference. I mean, you know, obviously a Scherzer or a Barrios is going to be a bigger impact by themselves. You know, Kyle Gibson comes in, you know, and he's not that ace. I mean, he's having an ace type year, but Gibson's more of that two or three guy where you need Jack Flaherty to come back. But that's the thing. If you go get a guy, even like a Kyle Gibson and you bring him in here, you get Flaherty back, hopefully the end of July, first part of August, Wayno keeps pitching the way he's pitched all year in the last couple of years. I mean, if you have those three guys at the top of your rotation going into the playoffs, I think you feel pretty good about it, you know, and then, and then you can start looking at the possibility of, you know, here's the, here's the big question all season. Does Miles Michaelis make an appearance this season? You know, because if you get a guy like Michaelis back at some point in August, maybe he goes in that bullpen, you know, maybe John Gant goes in the bullpen, maybe KK goes in the bullpen. So maybe you fix the bullpen that way or, if a starter's too expensive, you go out and maybe strengthen your bullpen. You know, I, I heard a couple people, a couple of ideas today. Maybe you go out and see if maybe you go to Washington and see if you can get a guy like Brad Hand, one of those guys that's been one of those back of the bullpen, back in bullpen pieces to try to strengthen that part of your ball club. And maybe you do that and get a bat. Maybe that's going to be the easier way to go than a starter because with all the injuries, getting a starter is going to be expensive. I mean, it's going to cost you probably more than you want to give up. Um, the only thing you can say is that if you get a guy like Gibson or if you get a guy like Barrios, they still have years of arbitration. So they wouldn't be a rental. You would have them for another year. And, you know, if somehow by the grace of God, Max Scherzer's healthy and you're able to pull that trade off July 31st, while he is a rental technically, I mean, I think we all believe that if he comes to St. Louis and comes home, he's not going anywhere else. So, you know, maybe that's, you know, one of those guys is definitely something you got to look at. And then, you know, maybe we've got to look at adding another bat to this team, which seems crazy. But, you know, that might be something you have to look at, at least a bench bat, you know, because that might be the biggest weakness of this club is that bench is just pathetic right now. And that's that's saying that with Matt Carpenter actually hitting somewhat better than he has in the last couple of years, and that's that's the scary thing that you're you're basically relying on Matt Carpenter to be that guy off the bat uh, off the bench. I mean, Edmundo Sosa has played well defensively, but up front, as far as the batting's concerned, not so much. Jose R R Rondon the same way. I mean, I was at the game uh, a couple of weeks ago where they scored seven runs in the one inning, and then they gave up the run in the top of the ninth, and then they had 
two on second and third, and you had guys like Rondon and Sosa come up and just they couldn't do anything because they've never been put in those kinds of spots. And yes, you have to be in those spots to become guys that can be in those spots. But at this point in time, with the way the Cardinals are playing, you need somebody that's going to be able to come off that bench to to strike fear essentially in a team and go, yeah, we know we got our closer in and the best and the best, but we're still scared to face this kind of guy, someone you can pull off of there. And, and, you know, that's a guy like Joey Gallo that might be out there. Uh, are there any other names that you're hearing besides a guy like Gallo that might be able to come in and provide that spark for the Cardinals? Joey Gallo is, is the big name that's out there. I mean, there's been some talk about maybe a guy like Sterling Marte being available from, from the Marlins. You know, that would be a guy that you could put in the outfield and is more of a contact type guy, which is something the Cardinals could use as well. Tell Marte from the Diamondbacks, another guy that's name has been thrown around a lot as somebody that might be available. Although that guy, it's going to take a lot to get that guy from Arizona because he's really young and really good. Um, you know, when we talk about a bench bet, I know people don't want to hear it, but you know, we had the chance to get the guy, you know, that guy that came out of Anaheim a couple of months ago or a month ago now, you know, that nobody wanted in St. Louis because he was done. If you haven't paid attention, he's pretty much tearing it up in L.A. and He would look awfully nice coming off the bench every once in a while. Yeah, Albert in a Cardinal uniform uh, would have been an absolute dream for a lot of us, and unfortunately that didn't happen. And that actually kind of begs the question, is there a leadership change that needs to take place with this this club? I mean, is Gersh or Mosaic, are they doing enough to keep this team competitive to keep this team on, a, on the winning front of things. Yeah, they're bringing in fans. People want to get out. The stadium is going to get full. You know, they did bring in Goldschmidt a couple years ago. They brought in Nolan Arenado. But have they done enough that, you know, DeWitt is satisfied that this team is moving in the right direction? Yes, they've got youth that's producing well. Nolan Gorman is playing well down in uh, in AAA or single or double A, I'm sorry. And then, you know, you got other guys. Libertor just pitched the U.S. into the Olympics. So there are pieces all there. but. Are, are the DeWitts looking at the leadership and going, guys, you just haven't done enough. Doug, Ar- or not Doug, Ar- yeah, Doug Armstrong down the street has done a lot recently to make the team competitive and championship level. Do, are they looking at that at all? And if that's the case, could we see a leadership change here? I don't think so. I think as much as fans want to rip on Mo and want Mo gone, I think he's pretty entrenched in that position. I think the DeWitts have a lot of faith in him. Um, you know, we've bashed him on other shows quite often, but I mean, like you said, you, he did find a way to go out and get Nolan Arenado. He did go get, I mean, when we say he didn't do enough, I mean, in the last three years, you know, he's gone out and gotten Nolan Arenado. He went and got Paul Goldschmidt. He went and got Marcelo Zuna. He has gone out and tried to get pieces and bring them in here and, and try to fix this offense. You know, it's just been, you know, guys have been hurt and, you know, just inconsistency up and down. And, you know, it's crazy to me. You know, you I hear people all the time bashing Goldie and Arenado saying, man, they're not doing enough. You know, Arenado's a huge disappointment. Yeah, the guy went, you know, he's had a rough June. You know, he's had a couple of stretches where he was one for 20. But he's still like third in the National League in RBIs. You know, Goldschmidt's hitting like 400 in June. <laughs> I mean, you, a lot of these games where the Cardinals have one or two hits, they're Goldschmidt hits. You know, he's hit four home runs in June. You know, the top of the lineup is not doing enough. I know Cardinal fans, cover your ears because you're not going to want to hear this. Tommy Edmond, for a leadoff hitter, has the worst on-base percentage of any leadoff hitter in Major League Baseball. So your leadoff hitter is not getting on base. 
And Dylan Carlson's doing okay, but he's a rookie. He's going to have his ups and downs. So you have a whole lot of times when you have your three, four hitters coming on, coming up with nobody on base to drive in, and they get pitched completely different when there's nobody on base than there are, they do when there are runners on base or in scoring position. You know, it, it just affects everything. And, uh, you know, maybe the Cardinals have to look at flipping their lineup a little bit. Maybe you try to put Dylan Carlson in the leadoff spot because he does draw more walks and move Edmund down a little bit, you know, and Tommy Edmonds done a pretty good job, but he, he does not draw walks. And if you look at the Cardinals record this year, you know, in the games that they win, he has three or four hits. The games they lose, he doesn't get on base. I mean, there's a direct correlation there to your leadoff hitter and how it impacts the rest of your lineup. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you're putting pressure on the defense. You're putting pressure on the pitcher. Obviously, a pitcher pitching from the windup versus the stretch is a completely different thing as well. So there's a lot of factors that go into that that actually help your offense. And by not getting those guys on base, it definitely it hurts a lot. Uh, the, the big thing, though, is the Cardinals hopefully have a stretch here where they can start to put some stuff together. They're going against three last-place teams in the Tigers, the uh, the Pirates, and the Diamondbacks uh, the next three series. Is. So they're in a spot where if they can line things up, they could go on a bit of a run. And like you said, four games out of first place right now, maybe four and a half at this point. But they have a chance to stay in this and maybe even push ahead. And, and getting that positive spin going will also put them in the mindset of, okay, maybe we need to go out and add a piece. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? You also have to look at the injuries. You know, when is guy like Jack Flaherty coming back? Is Michael is coming back? There's a lot of different pieces that go into it. But the next week and a half or so is really going to be telling as to where this team goes at the deadline and if fans are even going to really want to pack the stadium as this season goes on. Well, yeah, and I mean, you've, you've already kind of seen it. Fans are frustrated right now because they haven't played well, you know, and that last homestand when we were able to fill it, you know, people just weren't there for that Marlins series. You know, they were drawing around 20,000, but you know, people, it, the ballpark was dead. There was no atmosphere in that ballpark. Uh, you know, the two nights that they got the walk off hits, you know, in the ninth inning fans got excited. But other than that, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in that ballpark most of the time, you know, fans, fans are just frustrated and, the team hasn't got, given them anything to be really excited about now for a couple of weeks. So hopefully, like you said, playing some lesser teams, they can turn things around and they can definitely make a run as you start to head towards the All-Star break. All right, so before we change subjects, I just want to get your quick reaction to this. And right now, at this exact moment with the Cardinals, where they're at right now, there's one trade that they make at the trade deadline. Who is it going to be? Uh, who do I want it to be or who is it going to be? Uh, Who is it going to be? If if I had to guess, I'm going to say it's going to be Kyle Gibson. And that's okay. Uh, Like you said, he could slot in very well to that 2-3 spot and really make a big difference and really settle some some things down. So uh, lots of great Cardinal action coming up this week. Make sure you guys check it out. Tigers, Pirates, and then Diamondbacks. Hopefully this team can get on a winning streak and just start rolling and getting fans back into the stadium because this weekend – it, it needs to be packed. We need to show Cardinals, everybody, what, what Cardinals fans are all about. So now let's jump over to the NFL real quick because uh, there's a local guy who's in trouble. And, yes, Frankie's got a gun. That is Mr. Frank Clark of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, man, I, this is this is a crazy story. He was arrested in uh, L.A. Sunday night, pulled over on a vehicle code violation. And this is well, he's in his Lamborghini, you know, just a standard drive through LA in your Lamborghini. Uh, cops noticed a bag with an Uzi sticking out of it. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, he's out on bond. He signed a five-year, $105.5 million contract after being acquired from Seattle in 2019. It was a big part of the Chiefs' defense last year. Uh, 14 sacks, 56 tackles over his last two seasons. I know it's it's the NFL, and I know it's athletes, and I know it's there's always somebody in the news for – having something like this happen. And yes, with contracts at large, you have to protect yourself and all the, but uh, what, what the hell, man? What's the big deal, man? He was driving around with a Uzi in his Lambo. I mean, who doesn't do that? I mean, I, I don't, I don't see the problem. Um, you know, hundred million bucks, Uzi Lambo. It, it all makes sense. Right. Um, yeah. Not, not a good look when you're supposed to be the leader of the defense and, you know, just, uh, I'm sure Andy Reid's probably pulling his hair out right now with the different off the field things that have happened to that team in the last couple of years. So uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what the league does, how hard they come down on this. I'm sure there'll be some kind of investigation besides the legal ramifications. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if Frank Clark's able to suit up in week one, I would probably doubt it. Well, that's the thing that's kind of a little crazy from, in my sense, like, yeah, you sit there and you go, okay, a Lamborghini guy's got an Uzi in there, but okay. Did he legally own it? Did he have a right to carry it? Um, was he doing anything that would basically have the police say, okay, he's going to go do something with it. Like what are all the factors involved? He was pulled over on a, on a vehicle code violation. So like, did he resist arrest? I mean, were there other pieces and mitigating factors around it that really kind of escalated it even further because if, if, if he's a legal gun owner, if he has a right to carry and it's registered to that gun and all that kind of, if all the legal stuff is there, like there really isn't a reason for him to be disciplined by the NFL because everything he did was legal. Yes. It's not a good look, but if he was legally doing everything right, that that's another murky subject. And I know it's, like I said, I know it's the NFL and I know that there's a lot of image issues, but there's also a lot of issues in the world that would maybe make a guy like a Frank Clark want to carry around something for protection. I mean, once again, it, it's a, it's a murky subject, but you know, there's other pieces that go into it. You can't just look at it at face value and be like, okay, he had a gun in his car and he gets arrested. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And if, if there wasn't anything illegal going on, then, you know, he should be fine. And well, it's not a story and we'll all be happy as chiefs fans and we'll be able to watch him play, you know, thing you got to look at there is, you know, he got pulled over, you know, what were, what were the things that led up to that? I mean, I know it was a code violation, so I'm sure more will come out about that. And then when we talk about, yeah, he had a gun in his car, it's not like we're saying, Hey, he had a nine in his car. He had a freaking Uzi. I mean, you know, so that's just a bad look. I mean, like you said, hopefully, hopefully it's all legal. He had it registered. He didn't do anything wrong. And like I said, we can watch Frank Clark play football and, you know, there's no issues, but just the way things like this usually play out. I'm not super positive on how this is all going to play out, I guess, in the back of my mind. I I'm right there with you. And like you said, the chiefs have had a lot of issues off the field, even just recently Le'Veon bell coming out and talking about how he doesn't want to play for Andy Reid because you know, he's Le'Veon bell. That that's another piece that you look at and you go, it's not necessarily Andy Reid because how many great stories have been told about Andy Reid players stepping up and talking great about him. And, and yet Bell's the guy that's been from Pittsburgh to the Jets and now Chiefs. I mean, 
there's something else to this story, and it's it's I think it's more Bell trying to get out of Kansas City and find a bigger and better contract and a better situation for him because I think he feels like he was underutilized in Kansas City last year. Yeah, but I mean, who's going to give him a bigger and better contract at this point? When was the last time Le'Veon Bell was actually important on a football field? You know, how many years ago has that been since he actually made an impact for the Steelers? Uh, yeah, I can't even remember. <laughs> I, I, that's all you got to say. I mean, you, you don't remember. If, if he couldn't do anything to help that Jets team, and he was a, kind of an afterthought with Kansas City, a team that had Super Bowl aspirations this past year, I, I mean... You're, you're not really going to get much of anywhere. I mean, maybe he goes up to Detroit. Maybe Detroit looks at him and goes, ooh, that could be something that would compare with Jared Goff. Yay. Uh, that is scares the people. Yeah, Jared Goff and Le'Veon Bell. Woo-wee. Hey, you know, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is looking for more weapons. He could probably go. Maybe that's what keeps him in Green Bay. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell to Green Bay keeps Aaron Rodgers there. Oh, I mean, you have to talk about it. I mean, what – what is Aaron Rodgers going to be doing? I mean, is he going to play for Green Bay this year? Yeah, that's a good question. And is there anybody in the world more happy that the Milwaukee Bucks are playing in the uh, NBA Eastern Conference Finals than the front office of the Green Bay Packers right now? Because it's taking a lot of heat off of them. Because otherwise, everybody that would be all you heard up there right now. Because from the little bit that you do here, I don't think he's coming anytime soon. You know, I mean, he's not going to be there when training camp starts. When they, when they start finding him and they start taking those paychecks away from him and he has to start paying back the millions of dollars and bonuses that he's gotten the last couple of years, then maybe he shows up. But I'm not so sure he does. I think, I think we may have seen the last of Aaron Rodgers. And that's the crazy thing. I don't think that's something anybody would have expected. And, yeah, Aaron Jones has been a stud at Green Bay for running for Green Bay at running back. He is going to be something special up there as long as they can keep an offensive line able to open up holes. And yeah, I had Clyde Edwards Alaire on one of my fantasy teams this year too. And I'm hoping that he is uh, a player for the next couple of years for that team. And, you know, we know running backs don't last long in the NFL, but give me a couple of years of, of good Edwards Alaire and, uh, and I'll be fine. I'll definitely be fine on that. Uh, the Chiefs seem to find ways to just right now rebuild rebuild and retool uh they lose guys they are able to find guys to, to replace them they've done a good job drafting and, and they're going to be there at the end and uh, did you see the cover of madness uh for this upcoming season with uh, patrick mahomes and tom brady on it i did i did that was that was a good way to go although it's interesting that the uh mvp of the league wasn't on the cover because that's normally how that works Maybe they finally realize that the Madden Jinx is real and they're not putting the MVP on there. But if you're going to put Patrick and Tom on there, are you saying that they're not going to be in the Super Bowl next year? Because oh, I think a lot of people would be unhappy about that. Yeah. Or did, did they not put the uh, MVP on there because they're afraid he's not coming back and they didn't want people played Madden without, uh, without the guy there? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, that, that's gotta be it. Maybe they had inside knowledge and we're like, yeah, he, he's not coming back. So, uh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna waste our great marketing dollars on a guy that's not going to be playing this year. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. It's going to be, it's still going to be a very interesting off season. And I'll say this, we had some really interesting, uh, news pop up in the NFL today, something I think kind of unexpected and it, it was on Instagram came out today and we're, you know, we're, we are in the middle of, of pride month and, and teams are doing pride weeks and, and all that. And 
we now, and I, it's one of those things. And he said this in his, in his statement too, like he's hoping that this doesn't become a, or this becomes something that we just don't have to talk about anymore because it's just naturally accepted. But we've now got our first active NFL player to come out as gay. Uh, Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib came out today. Uh, he's a 28-year-old uh, defensive end for uh, Las Vegas, drafted in 2016 by Cleveland, spent two seasons in Tampa before signing with the Raiders in 2020. Uh, he had two and a half sacks and an interception in 14 games. He started five of those games. And, you know, he just basically made a quick video today and said, hey, you know, I I'm gay and I'm here to support. He goes, I'm not a guy that's looking for a lot of attention, but at this point in time, I need to use my platform to help progress the story a lot further. And, you know, I, I'm one of those. I applaud him for coming out and, and speaking his mind and being that guy that steps out and says, hey, this is who I am. And I'm still playing the game I love. I'm living my best life. And no one's going to stop me from doing that. So I, I just, you know, we want to give a shout out to Carl Nassib because that, that's a huge thing. And, and I hope, I hope and pray he's gotten a lot of support already. I hope and pray that he continues to get support because it's one of those things that just needs to be naturally accepted. No. Yeah, it absolutely does. And like you said, you've got to applaud him for having the courage to do that because as a professional football player in that sport, that's not the easiest thing to do. And uh, you hope that he gets a little bit more love and it's a little bit more, I think even accepted now than it was a few years ago when Michael Sam came out and we saw how all that played out, you know, it was kind of a media circus around him for a while. So Hopefully, uh, hopefully, as things have kind of evolved over the last couple of years, we don't see that happen this time, and he can just move forward now and be okay. I'm open. I'm out, and let's go play football. You know, and still be able to get his platform out there as well. Yeah, it's a difficult uh, journey to have for sure, and I, I believe that he has the support of his teammates because I, I don't think he would have stepped out like that if he didn't at least feel like he had the support of his team uh because it is a difficult thing i mean you and i have both been in sports locker rooms and they are merciless they really right. really are i mean the testosterone level is just ridiculous in those things so you, you, like you said you're just you're hoping that that's something that he's got the support and, and the nfl even came out and basically threw their support behind him as well and you know once again we talk about the nfl being kind of just interesting when it comes to their image uh at least in this instance, they're they're coming out and saying, "Yeah, hey, we, we support this, all, all our backing behind them, and, and let's just let's just continue to to progress farther and farther in this as we go." Yeah, I mean that, that's what the whole uh, world, all of society, needs to do at this point. Very, very true. No truer words have been spoken there. All right, now it's time we got to talk about the NHL playoffs because. There's a lot of St. Louis connections, and, and we're actually going to be bringing in our co-host from Toasted STL, Tom Franklin, and uh, Blues Fan Reacts. We're going to be having them join us here in just a second. But we, we were asking you guys, who should St. Louis back in the NHL playoffs? Yes, we're four and five games into these uh, conference finals, getting ready to set up the Stanley Cup, but there's a lot of St. Louis connections. You've got Vegas with Alex Petrangelo and Ryan Reeves. You've got Tampa Bay with Pat Maroon. you got the Islanders with Scott Mayfield. And uh, let's see, who's left? Oh, wait, Montreal. And that's Jake Allen and Joel Edmondson. So a lot, a lot of St. Louis connections, whether homegrown or just Blues connections. The playoffs have been phenomenal in my mind, first off. You know, the fact that Colorado got just ousted pretty pretty easily. Yeah, buddy. 
Suck it, Cronky. Uh, <laughs> but the, you got Montreal making a run. They are definitely an underrated team. You've got the Islanders, a team that I believe are built to beat Tampa Bay. But you still got Tampa Bay just absolutely crushing it. Last I checked, it was 4 nothing Tampa in Game 5. So it's not like they're going away easily. And then, and then you got Vegas, who... Let's just put it this way. Vegas is one of those media darlings that now everybody hates, and they've only been in existence for, what, about five years? So it's absolutely crazy. So I got to ask you first, Scott, before we bring in our buddies, you know, who do you have a rooting interest in as far as the St. Louis Connections? Who do you want to make it to the finals and win due to their St. Louis Connections? Well, I want, I want Patty Maroon to get back again. Let's see how many cups that guy can win. And the fact that they're playing the Islanders because we know – Anybody that's ever watched this show knows that I don't have a whole lot of love for the Islanders. So I'm definitely rooting for Pat in the uh, in old Tampa Bay down there for sure. See, I'm a big Barry Trotz fan. Uh, I hated him. Hated him when he was in Nashville. I, 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 the, the frustration level of playing the Predators hasn't gone away, but it was at the height when Barry Trotz was there coaching. But then he went to Washington. I'm a big Ovechkin fan. I, I loved what he did in Washington, winning the cup with them. And I've really liked what he's done in New York, especially after they, they lose out on John Tavares. Everybody thinks they're going downhill. They've got the situation where they're moving between arenas and cities and all that kind of stuff. And yet he's been able to get this team to really bear down and focus on what their goals are. And that's to, to make it and win a Stanley Cup. Um, I, I like the Islanders. I hope the Islanders... Honestly, I'm looking forward to an Islanders-Canadians final. Uh, the NHL will hate it because of the ratings, but I would love to see a Canadians-Islanders matchup and, and just see how that plays out. Um, I think it'll end up being Vegas and Tampa Bay. I think both of those teams will eventually rise to the top and and really prove to everybody that they are the two best teams out there. And and our friend Mike uh, says Petrangelo should have stayed with the Blues and not chase the money. Vegas needs to be in the league for at least 10 years before winning a cup. Um, I, I, we've touched on Petrangelo in the past. Everybody blames Doug Armstrong for Petrangelo not re-signing in St. Louis. It is on Alex. It was on him that he did not want to come back to St. Louis. He, the Blues offered him what I believe was a very fair contract offer. Doug Armstrong up front saying, look, I'm not giving you a no movement clause. I'm not giving you control over the franchise. If you really want to be here, you should be here. And, and you'll take this contract. Well, Petrangelo, to his every power to him, he's got his cup. He's got his prestige. Now he had to go take care of his family. I get it. I don't know if he's going to be able to, to have the same success, although he's looked like the Conn Smythe winner so far in the playoffs. It, he's looked phenomenal and definitely worth the money that they paid for him this year. Um, and, yeah, Vegas being in the league for 10 years before winning a cup, that's I think that's kind of all of us Blues fans saying, hey, we waited 55-plus years for our for our Stanley Cup. The least you could do is wait 10. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it is on that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we've talked about it a million times. I, I don't have any issue with Petro taking the bigger contract, taking care of his family. He won a cup here. You know, he helped St. Louis finally raise that cup. So more power to him. And, you know, he needed to have, what does he have, an 18-car garage in his house, something like that? <laughs> Something like that. 18 cars and they're filled with strollers. So, you know, you know, it is what it is. You got to be able to store them. So, all right, we're going to bring in Tom Franklin and Blues Fan Reacts now to talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and really get their rooting interests in what's going on right now. Because like we said, there's a lot of Blues connections and, and, and we got to see where these guys lie. I'm with the Islanders. We got Scott with Tampa. He's over there, Mike. Uh, Tom Mason, first off, 
what have your thoughts been on the playoffs this year? And then, and then tell us who you guys got a rooting interest are. It's been a fun playoffs. I mean, I, I feel every series has had a nice story to it. I mean, uh, this series uh, tonight that's going on right now, Tampa versus uh, the Islanders, all the games up until tonight have been very close, and it's been a very tight series. But, of course, Tampa just, you know, cracked open this series 7 to nothing, and uh, I just don't, you know, it, the series is tied 2-2. Two to two. I just don't see the Islanders climbing out of a 7 nothing hole like this. I mean, Weirder things have happened in hockey. That's why you play the game. I just don't see that happening. And then, for me, Montreal and Vegas has been one of the most intriguing series, not just for the fact that it's a series that should only happen in the Stanley Cup Finals because Montreal historically has been in the Eastern Conference, so you have a bit of a crossover going on there. Um, but you have Vegas, who uh, seems to be the divisive team in hockey right now because they've only been in the league for a couple of years, uh, as as Mike uh, pointed out. So he feels they should be in the league at least 10 years before winning a cup. I mean, come on. This is the land of opportunity. I mean, you know, I, every team should have a, a, at least a shot, in my opinion. Um and, but you have you have the you have that you have Alex Petrangelo. This is his first year of that big contract in Vegas, and he's already taken his team to a Western Conference final. Well, I want to say I don't want to say he took them, but at least you know that that's an ensemble unit in Vegas. I mean, there's there uh, Mark Stone, uh, William Carlson. They have a lot of you know strong players. Uh, the, their goalie tandem, Robin Leonard and uh, Mark Andre Fleury, is probably the best in the playoffs right now. And you have every reason to look at Vegas and say, yeah, this is the favorite. This is the team that should go on to the Stanley Cup final. And they very well could. But Montreal, Montreal has been like the underdog in this whole, in this whole playoffs. They entered uh, as the final entrant in the North Division. They took on the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round, a team that all the media outlets in Canada anointed as, you know, the next champions and, you know, this is their year. And, and, you know, Toronto media is insane when it comes to hockey, you know, that, that is, you know, I feel like I'm not telling anyone anything new there. Toronto goes up three to one in the series and Montreal comes back and eliminates them in game seven. It happened again, Toronto, a game seven loss in the first round. Shucks. Did they wear the Boston Bruins jerseys in that game? Because I'm pretty sure that's what did it, right? <laughs> I think I think so. Honestly, I think I think I think that that might have been the issue. They're wearing them under the jerseys. Um, but then they go on to the next round. They take on Winnipeg, a team that was still ranked higher than Montreal going into the playoffs. They had a better regular season and Montreal just karate chopped them in the throat and, 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 you know, one and four straight. Now they're two games to two uh, in, against Vegas. They had a chance to go three, one last night. They couldn't get the job done in OT um, as uh, Mason, you're very well aware of uh, having watched <laughs> it with uh, uh, Arizona sports guy uh, last night. But um, you know, that's that, that series. I still think that series is up for grabs. I think you know I, I you can't discount discount Montreal at all. I mean, Carey Price has been phenomenal this playoffs, and they do have some former Blues on there too with Jake Allen and Joel Edmondson. Um, in fact, uh, um, uh, Mike uh, pointing out it'd be nice to see Edmondson win the Cup again. That that would definitely be true. Uh, in fact, we actually have a Montreal Canadian fan with us here tonight, uh, King Angus, uh, saying "Go Habs, go!" and 
I'm going to get to Mason's, you know, picks and his thoughts on the series. I'm really kind of interested where, where he stands now in that series, but I think it's going to be Tampa in the finals. And I think I still, I'm still, I'm hoping, and I think it's going to be Montreal in seven over, over Vegas. You, you just cannot discount those Habs. And it's, it's funny. I, I, Vegas going into the season was kind of like my second team in the NHL, like a distant second behind the blues, but still second team. But after being in the same division with them, I'm I'm down on them. <laughs> I am I am down on them. I mean, Mark Stone kind of ruined it for me whenever he whenever he took out Bozak. Um, so I've been kind of on the Habs train this this whole playoffs. Mason, you've been on the Habs train as well, but uh, you seem pretty happy that Vegas won last night. Explain yourself, buddy. He wore a Vegas jersey last night. I did wear a Vegas jersey. I would have worn Mark a Stone Canadian's. Jersey. I would have won a Canadian. I would have worn a Canadian's jersey if I had a Canadian's jersey. But I mean, I, I I had the Mark Stone one before that hit, and the moment that Mark Stone laid that hit, I said, you know, very unfortunate choice here. Uh, but I think where where I stand right now is af- after after Toronto choked, I'm like, okay, surely you got to root for the Habs going forward, just because he kept the the he kept the memes alive. Right, so I, I'm going with Montreal as my you know team going into you know hoping that they win the final just because there are so many players on that team that so deserve a cup. You know, Shea Weber deserves one, Jeff Petrie deserves one, Carey Price especially deserves one, and I would I wouldn't mind seeing Allen and Edmondson uh, hoist again. So, uh, and and plus ending the what the. How long has it been? Like twenty-eight years since the Canadian teams won a Stanley Cup. So ninety-three, and that was Montreal that won that cup for for the entire country of Canada. I would love to see that streak come to an end once again by the hands of the Montreal Canadiens. They don't deserve another cup. They no. have what twenty-four of them. Well, they're they they're they're the Yankees <laughs> of hockey, essentially. We yeah, are, so I'm cheering for the Yankees of hockey, and I feel very guilty about that. Yeah, but still, <laughs> but still, you know, you you'd love to see Montreal, you know, end that drought, not only for Canada but for all those players on the team that deserve it. Uh, really, what it comes down to is I I like Montreal, but like just for, if you put it on a scale, like from here's Montreal, here's Vegas, right here, so freaking close, and then here's New York, and here's Tampa. It's down into hell. But really? I, I I yeah, I don't want Tampa touching the Stanley Cup again. They got their cup. They are how many million over the salary cap? I don't like that. You know, I, Vegas is over Vegas too. Sit, yeah, Vegas, Vegas is over. They had to sit guys at the end of the season. I know Vegas, not as much. But they are still over. But I mean, it's understandable how much over. Tampa Bay is eighteen million over. Eighteen million. That's not right. I don't think they deserve it. And it would be hilarious if if they if they choke to the New York Islanders. I wouldn't mind seeing that. They're kind of like the average team. Like if they win, they win. Whatever. I, they're, they're not going to choke against Islanders. They just went up eight nothing. Uh, Brayden Shen's brother Luke just hey. scored. And he yeah, ain't nothing right Colorado, now. Yeah, Colorado won game one against Vegas nine to one, and then Vegas swept them after that. So uh, that was game really one right now. Series to recover from that though. This is, is it really five. ain't nothing right now. Holy hell! But like, holy yeah. crap! 
but yeah, I would love to see. Well, then if Tampa chokes, that'll just be all that much funnier, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, you got your kind of, don't, don't get me wrong. I'd love Pat Maroon to go back to back to back, but my yeah. hatred for the Tampa Bay Lightning is just like unmatched to that sort of, you know, optimism. So definitely whoever comes out of the West is going to be my Stanley Cup favorite going forward. So, so if, if it is Vegas and Tampa, two teams that have circumvented the cap this year, I mean, do you look at that as, as, essentially cheating do you look at that as, a, as a, a loophole that needs to be fixed or is that something that you look at the blues and go hey next year you better exploit that like i mean what what do you if, if both of those teams end up there what does that how does your mindset change about who the actual champion is this year it sends a message to the league if both of them go into the final it sends a message that hey teams can do this you know, Nikita Kucherov has been healthy for probably two months now. You know, he's intentionally was set up because we knew that he'd be into the playoffs and he'd fucking kill everyone. And they're exactly right. He did just that. He scored like two. He scored two goals in his playoff debut. Uh, Stamco scored two goals in his debut. Like, it's just when once game one happened in the first round, I was like, this isn't right. This is not right. And I understand that credit to Tampa for, you know, staying under the salary cap, not having these two players and still, you know, making the playoffs. We're bar- we're on on the salary cap. We might be a little over, but we're on the salary cap and I mean, we made the playoffs too. I don't think that's something to be commended. That's a stupid argument. So, I mean, I think it definitely sends a message to the league like, hey, there needs to be either a playoff salary cap or there needs to be like a a roster like a game by game salary cap in the playoffs or like, it's just, I don't know what the, what the like overall blanket solution would be, but I think there's a very big difference between kind of, you know, getting away with a loophole and straight up exploiting and cheating. And I think that Tampa Bay is cheating. I I'm a very firm believer that Tampa Bay is cheating. It, it well, definitely does, it does feel like an exploit with Tampa holding out Kucherov until the playoffs, and then suddenly he's healthy and he's and he's and not only that is he healthy, he's fresh. He hasn't you know, he hasn't had any wear and tear on him this year at all. It kind of kind of reminds me, you know, in baseball where twenty years ago Roger Clemens, uh, you know, would you know sign with it with like the Yankees like in August or something like that. So he'd be fresh in in the playoffs, and you know he'd have a healthy arm. Kind of a similar situation there. Uh, Arizona sports guy makes a good point. Vegas didn't get around the cap though. They had to dress fewer skaters because it would have put them, it would put them over to bring up another guy. So they kind of penalized themselves a little bit by having like, I remember seeing some of their uh, lineups. I think they had like five defensemen one night, another night they had like, I think maybe three full lines and like an extra forward or two, something like that. Um, to me, that's that, that was Vegas staying within the confines of the cap, but, you know, kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit by not having a full roster every night. And a lot of that was just because they had to do all sorts of maneuvering to get Petro in, in the off season, which, uh, um, you know, I guess the, the, there was some thought that maybe that would disrupt the locker room a little bit in Vegas. Clearly that did not happen. They're, they're in the, they're in the conference finals. I mean, you can make that argument that, yeah, they, they penalize themselves by sitting guys stand under the cap, but, you know, they were a team that was one of the top two teams in the in the Western Division. They, it's not like they were penalizing themselves and saying, "Oh, look, we're gonna we're gonna play short and we're still fighting for a playoff spot." And oh, hey, guess what? How many times have they sat a, a couple of guys in the playoffs right now? 
But they, did they, they haven't? But did they really break any rules though? I mean, they played. They confines. I mean, right. and, but but, and, but they knowingly they knowingly put themselves over the cap and knew that they were going to have to sit guys. So like that that's the whole thing. It, it's two yeah. sides of the same coin, I think, because right. Tampa was like, look. We're doing this. We know yeah. he's not going to play, and then we're going to bring him back when we can do that. But Vegas, a little, little in yeah, my but Ve- Vegas was like, "Hey, we're going to sign a crap ton of players, and we may have to sit some guys as the season winds yeah. down, but we're going to play them all in the playoffs." So, I mean, it, it, it's two sides of the same coin. They both knew what they were doing. It's just one looks a lot shadier than the other one. Uh, yeah, it definitely. And Tampa definitely looks very shady in this regard because they, with all the money they had over the cap and the, and the way they handled Kucherov, yeah, it does. It does feel like they gamed the system a little bit, whereas Vegas kind of played within the confines but shot themselves in the foot just a little bit. So I mean, it's it, it not not exactly apples to apples. So as a St. Louisan, you know the, the the topic of this discussion. If you're a St. Louisan. Who should you support? Who should you back in the Stanley Cup final? Um, you know, Mason was talking about Tampa got their cup last year. It'd be nice to see Maroon go back to back to back, but he got his cups, you know, and, and it, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it'd be the continuation of a great story, but it wouldn't be a new Cinderella story. Um, the Islanders have one St. Louis connection, no former Blues, but they have Scott Mayfield, who is uh, from St. Louis. I believe he's a, uh, uh, West County kid, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Islanders, I don't, I don't, I never really had any pull towards the Islanders at all. I just, I mean, I, I don't dislike them. I'm just kind of eh on them. Mm-hmm. Um, Vegas, you have Petro and you have Ryan Reeves, two guys who were beloved in St. Louis. Uh, uh, Reeves, uh, I, I know I, I still miss Ryan Reeves. I, I would do that trade with Pittsburgh in a heartbeat to get Sunquist and the pick that became Clem Costin, but I missed him. I do miss him. And Petro, he was a great servant of the, of the Blues for many years. I don't begrudge him for uh, going to Vegas. Um, in the end, he he did get us a cup here. And he's approaching his 30s, and he wants to set himself up you know, for the future. And he got a team to pay what he wanted. So more power to him. Uh, and then on the um, uh, Canadians, you have Jay Gallen, who was one of the most divisive Blues players in history, now all of a sudden, now that he's gone, everyone loves him. Oh, not everyone. If you if you look in the in the message boards, people still okay. think he's he's an absolute tool. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, well, you're you're always going to have those fans, but it, it seemed like the rancor for him died a lot during the his final year here, and seeing Billy Huso give up softies kind of made us long for Blake Allen once again. I don't understand that. And then you have Joel Edmondson, who kind of an interesting figure, came up with the Blues, uh, didn't. Uh, Got scratched in the uh, playoffs and kind of was an odd man out. Became Justin Falk. Um, it's interesting. I, I, if you're talking about like as a Blues fan, who who I feel you should pull for, I would probably say Vegas. But then at the same time, though, they were division rivals, and you know you had the Mark Stone thing. I almost feel that kind of cancels things out. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, uh, first, of all, Mason, let's go to you. Uh, I'm just reacting at a tweet that's coming out of the Fire the Cannon podcast. Uh, they're saying that Matthew Kachuk wants out of Calgary. Yes. Wants out. As in, wants a trade this offseason. <laughs> Let the uh, Kachuk for the Lou rumors uh, begin right Kachuk now. Kachuk for the Lou. Let's do it. I think we can make a shirt up for that. I think we can. Uh, if, if only we knew a good shirt maker. Uh, <clears throat> Mason, excuse me. 
Oh my god, you haven't approached me! You haven't no, told me this isn't a merch! This isn't a merch! You want a merch you, design? You want tell me. to make merch for us! You're gonna, I will make merch for us! You're gonna make damn good merch for us! I'll make damn good merch for us! <laughs> Clearly, we got too emotional for Scott. He just, he just. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, he's straight up <laughs> dead. He, he threw his camera in disgust. <laughs> uh, we're, we'll, we'll get him back here in just a second but uh yeah i mean for me i i look at it and I, the one guy there's one guy in that whole group i mean mayfield yes is part of it but there's one guy in that whole group that i look at and i go damn i want him to have a cup and that's ryan reeves and, and i know i don't want to root for vegas but i think if i could if i could see ryan reeves list the stanley cup I, I think I would be happy. And that would complete kind of like that that time of my life where that was my team. It, you had guys like Ryan Reeves, Edmonton, Allen, Petrangelo, the, Pat Maroon at the end there. But all those guys, to see the hard work that they put in with the Blues, and a couple of them didn't get it with here, but a lot of them did, to see Ryan Reeves be able to lift the Stanley Cup, that would be validation for me. Yeah, and I'd be very happy for him because he's definitely a guy that's earned it. I mean, he's one of the really last remaining true enforcers, you know, of his ilk. Which, and he's also kind of a divisive guy in the HL. You know, he's not as hated as like Tom Wilson is, but he doesn't have his share of fans either. You know, so that would be kind of uh, interesting to see how people would react to him lifting the cup and just you know Vegas, Vegas in general. Which you know, it's. It's it, it's interesting. I you know Vegas has been in the league for this is year number three or four now, um, and and for a team so new to draw so much emotion out of fans, I mean that tells me that franchise is succeeding. Yep. You know, because like I remember like when the Sharks came into the league in the nineties, um, and the Senators in the nineties, they didn't even raise a blip in the league. They were so bad for so long. And, uh, and in fact, really people still don't care about the senators. So it's, you know, <laughs> they, they never really pulled themselves out. Whereas the Knights, you know, they're, they're glitzy and, and they, they're a strong team and they, and everyone loves to hate them. So to me, I mean, Vegas is one of the best NHL success stories, I think in, in the last, you know, probably decade or two. Yep, and I think Seattle is, is hopefully going to follow that train as well. Maybe not as successful as Vegas, but I think they, they have a good blueprint, and I think they've got a good fan base, so I'm really excited to see what Seattle is able to bring. Uh, the uh, the draft is roughly a month away as well. Uh, and yeah, way, yeah, that's by, a great point by King Angus. Yeah, on, on, the, on the Kucherov thing, the only way I can see to fix it, make it like baseball, a 10-day IL, a 60-day IL, etc. Right now in the NHL, you can just put a player on the IL for the entire season, no limit for how long, and he he can just stay there pretty much, and you don't have to do anything with him. And uh, you get his money back too if he's on there yeah, for a long time. If you do the LTIR thing, which which the Blues did take advantage of with uh, Steen and uh, Tarasenko at least for a little bit of the season. So, yeah, there needs to be some sort of reform there. But you know, mm -hmm. at the same time, I mean, this was a league that before COVID, teams were kind of planning on the salary cap going up. You know, they were planning on like an $87, $88 million salary cap after uh, this past season. Well, now that cap is flat. So, I mean, it's it's going to have a big – I wonder if what if Tampa Bay ends up win, uh, lifting the cup this year with what they did with Kucherov or Vegas lifts the cup and they were willing to, you know, sit in almost an entire line of players because of the cap. I wonder if other teams will follow their suit. And it's that's possible. It, 
and, and I think that's I think it's quite possible they may have started a trend. I, I think you're right. Whether it's a good one or not, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Well, Tom, uh, Mason, thank you guys for uh, taking a, a few minutes out to talk about the playoffs. We'll see a lot of you guys uh, here on Toasted Tavern. Tom uh, will be with us tomorrow night with Scott. I have hockey. So, yeah, I actually still play. So, Actual you know, I got yeah. to get my exercise in for the week. I'm so jealous. I'll be uh, – I'll be doing that, uh, and, and Mason will be with us throughout the, the summer and in the next year as well. So, uh, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap up things, talking about some of the NBA and uh, the NCAA here as and well. Just, and just one final thing, uh, as part of Toast of St. Louis, we will have a Blues podcast uh, coming up here in the next uh, month or two. So um, watch out for that, of course. Uh, we uh, were – the three of us were part of Blue Notes, you know, for two years with the Hockey Podcast Network, and – We've kind of combined our uh, forces, if you will, into uh, Toast of St. Louis and the Toast of Tavern. So, uh, yeah, we will be back with uh, Blues content probably once free agency gets going or when Matthew Kachuk gets traded to the Blues. It might happen. You never know. You never know. We're going we're gonna to have to do a trade special, like, uh, oh, like yeah. a, one of those, hey, wh- who would you trade? What are your fantasy trades? All that kind of stuff. We have to do something like that. Absolutely. If, if, if Matthew Kachuk is a St. Louis Blue this season, that video is going to be ten <laughs> times the reaction to the Mike Hoffman video. Ten times. Oh my gosh! That, that, is, so an, awesome. that is an. He that would is, fit so well. And he would is, fit well. That yeah. is an instant jersey purchase, by the way. Oh yeah. No, oh, yeah. I'm I, immediately. He yeah. have I've to got be tra- it is sitting in my cart right now. <laughs> he doesn't have to be traded here. Just make a Blues jersey with Kachuk. I have a custom <laughs> one through Fanatics.com ready to hit send. <laughs> and, and, and and by the way, the only player that you know Blues player that I was like that with in recent years, I had and I had this in my cart at NHLShop.com. Yarmir Yager Blues jersey. I was mm. ready to pounce on a Yarmir Yager Blues jersey. I know he was old. I know he was washed up. But it's Yarmir Yager. Yeah. It, I mean, Yager's one of the coolest players of all time. And the Blues were in on him, but then he went to uh, Calgary and then into uh, the Sunset because he didn't like he didn't yeah. last the full season there. So that's true. That's yeah. true. Well, guys, thanks for joining us uh, for that Blues and NHL hockey talk. Uh, like I said, Scott and I are going to wrap up here with some NBA and uh, NCAA talk, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right, let's that's get good. To- thanks, guys. All righty, Scott, let's let's talk a little bit about the NBA because it's one of those things that uh, I, I don't follow as close as I should be, but there's a lot of really, really fun stuff happening right now. you got four teams left in the playoffs. you got the Suns, the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Hawks. None of them have won a title since the NBA-ABA merger in 1976. And I think we kind of all know the story around the Clippers, and we still we kind of know the story around the Bucks. I mean, the Clippers with Kawhi, the Bucks with Giannis, we kind of know where they're at in their stories. But let's talk a little bit about the Suns and the Hawks, two young teams that are now in their respective finals and, and really legitimately have a shot of making it to the NBA finals. You got a couple of stars in the making in Devin Booker and Trey Young. What have, what have you made of this NBA postseason with, with LeBron going out early, the, the top two seeds in the East falling? I mean, it's it's been a whirlwind, but it's been pretty damn good. Yeah, it has. And you've got the you got the next the next generation of superstars are starting to emerge. Guys like Booker and Young. You know, these guys are starting to come out and show what they can do. I mean, Devin Booker has his first triple double in the in the NBA in the playoffs. You know, and I mean he just came up and showed what he could do. 
and the same thing you're seeing with Young. I mean, these guys are guys that are going to be superstars, and there's just so much talent coming in the NBA right now. You know, we might have as much young talent in the NBA as we've had since the, you know, you go back to the 80s and say, the, you know, the Jordans, the Ewings, the Elijah Wands, when all of those guys, the Barclays, when you had all of those guys come up at once, that's kind of where we're at at the NBA right now. And we really are. And and that's still having the, the guys, the old guard still there as well. I mean, you've got a lot of that. And then you've got this youth coming up. I mean, you, you look at teams, I mean, the Knicks have been a team that, that have been on the on the downside of things for a long time, and they're on the rise as well. That series between the Hawks and Knicks was actually probably one of the better series that we've seen uh, outside of the last couple ones that went seven uh, between you know the Jazz and Clippers and, and the Suns uh, as well. It, it, we've had a lot of really, really good action. And I also think you've seen a lot of disappointment. I mean, the fact that the Brooklyn Nets got beat by the Bucks. I mean, I don't think anybody expected that. This team was built – to make it to the finals, you had Kevin Durant and yeah, Kyrie didn't play in game seven. And that that's another question that pops up, you know, like, is he a guy that can actually finish? Cause he didn't play well in, in Cleveland. He didn't play well in Boston in the, in those big moments, you know, is, is Kyrie a detriment to the Brooklyn Nets? And if getting rid of him, will that make them a better team? You know, I mean, I've said this for a couple of years now, does Kyrie really care about basketball? You know, because how many games did we see him sit out this year? Because, you know, there was – I understand the social justice thing. And I understand that he has causes that he believes in. And he's a really intellectual guy. He's a thinker. He he has a lot of other things on his mind. But you're getting paid millions of dollars to play basketball. You know, how do you, how do you just turn your back on your teammates and be like, man, I don't like what's going on here, so I'm not going to – I'm sitting out the next couple of days. You know, I mean – and you just have to wonder how dedicated Kyrie truly is to his teammates and to the game itself. Not, not as much as he probably could be. Uh, and like I said, he's you, like you said, he's using his platform for for good causes. I, I get all that, but at some point, by not playing, you're going to lose that platform because people will eventually lose their their pull towards you. So there's a fine balance that he has to balance there. And and we'll see if that actually happens. So, uh, and another guy and another disappointment, uh, it was Philadelphia, the the team that went through the process and has a lot of talent. And and you talk about a guy like Ben Simmons, who was okay in the regular season. He was a pretty good driving force for the Sixers as the regular season wore on, but in the playoffs, he just, he can't do much. You know, he was a 60% free throw shooter in the regular season, dropped a 34.2% in the playoffs, unwilling to shoot the three ball. The team's willing to work with Simmons over the summer, and Simmons is also willing to be taught. But is a change of scenery in store. He's owed $33 million next year, 35 after that, 37 and then 40 in year four. And a team that's been thrown out there as, as a potential landing spot is the Chicago Bulls. And you know, being a Bulls fan growing up with Michael Jordan in, in the fold, you look at that, and that's my team, obviously, without St. Louis having one. But would the Bulls pull the trigger on bringing a guy like Simmons in and, and really trying to work with him? Or are they best served you know, staying far, far away from him? Uh, I think I would stay far away from Ben Simmons. I mean, this isn't the first time. This isn't the first offseason that Philly said, okay, we're going to work with him. He's willing to work. You know, for whatever reason, he gets gun-shy about shooting threes. He won't do it. You know, we thought last year when Philadelphia struggled at the end of the season that we thought that was the end of the marriage between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and, and the 76ers. So I think I think Simmons is probably gone. You know, I think uh, 
they're going to move on. Uh, I would, if I'm the Bulls, I don't touch him. You know where I go if I'm the Bulls? You know the first phone call that I make because they're shaking things up? I'm giving the Celtics a call. I want to see what it would take to pull Jason Tatum to Chicago. I would be down for that. I would make the trip up to the United Center and, and see a Bulls game if Jason Tatum ended up putting on the Bulls uniform. That would be absolutely amazing. And speaking of Simmons, it, it, it's a really telling fact uh, that he's not on or very not likely to be on the Australian Olympic basketball team uh, this year. The Australians are competing for a medal, okay? And you're not taking an NBA player in Ben Simmons because you don't feel like he could give you the best opportunity to win a medal against other NBA players on Team USA. That right there to me is the biggest telling piece of Ben Simmons right now is that not even your home country wants you a part of a team that has a chance at meddling in the Olympics. That, that's a big piece for me. Yeah, that's like you said, that says a lot. It, it's going to be interesting to see what Philadelphia does with him because like you said, he's owed a lot of money. And in big moments, he's been a pretty big disappointment. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see where they go. So do you think there's anybody in the country that when the season started would have picked these to be the final four teams? I mean, how many people were signing up going, hey, the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be uh, Atlanta and Milwaukee and give us the Suns? I mean, maybe people thought the Clippers. Some people thought that that team was good enough. But I mean, most people in the West were looking at Denver or Utah or the Lakers. I mean, I don't think anybody was going – or Dallas. I don't think anybody – I don't think the Suns were at the top of anybody's list. No, I don't think so either. I mean, yeah, they brought in Chris Paul, and he's been a, just been amazing out there being able to lead that young team to where they're at. Um, yeah, I don't think the Suns entered into the picture, and, and they were a question mark you know, going into the playoffs. I thought the Jazz and the Suns, they were both question marks. Yeah, they were 1-2 in the West, but what had they really done? What had they really proven? Well, I think the Suns have proven a little bit more. I, th- I think the Jazz did prove a little bit this year. I mean, they, they couldn't shut down the Clippers in game seven and they really, they should have won that game. But I think as I always say, young teams have to learn to win by losing. And I think this is a big, that was a big series for the jazz to lose and hopefully learn from and grow from. Uh, but I, yeah, I think the Suns are a very, very big surprise. Yes. A lot of people were expecting the other LA team to be there in the Western conference finals, but with Kawhi being there, I think the Clippers were in the conversation, but if you're the NBA, you're looking at the Eastern conference and going, Milwaukee and Atlanta are the markets that we're in right now. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Those ratings are going to be great. And that's sad because you've got so many great players there. I mean, the battle between Giannis and and Young is going to be phenomenal. Yes, they probably won't guard each other or play all that close to each other. But just the battle between those two, they're going to go at it. And you could see probably one of the more entertaining series is between those two teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. And a lot of people are going to miss out because it's Milwaukee and Atlanta. No one is drawn to that. It's not a sexy matchup. But I am very excited to see it. And if I had to pick right now, I'd almost look at it and I'd say, I think maybe Atlanta and LA might be your, your NBA final potentially. Uh, I think I think the Suns are going to win that. I think the Suns are going to win that, man. I mean, they won without Chris Paul. I know Kawhi wasn't I, I there. The Clippers. But uh, I think I think I think it's Booker's time. I think he's I think he's showing everybody. Okay, I'm the best player in the West right now. And I, I think the Suns win. And the East is so tough because Giannis has really grown up in these playoffs. He's played so much better than he has in the last couple of postseasons. But Young is. Young is an impressive young player. I see that series goes going seven, 
but I think maybe I think maybe Milwaukee's got just enough to pull it out. Yep, I think either it, it's going to be hair thin. That that's that series is going to be hair thin. It'll it will probably come down to the absolute last shot. Uh, one final thing before we get out of here tonight, and we have to talk about this because it is going to potentially be a huge story here in the next couple of months, if not years. Uh, the Supreme Court today ruled on an NCAA issue. Uh, it's about providing incremental increases for college athlete compensation, and and you, you hear that and you think, oh yeah, here we go, uh, college athletes are going to get paid. Well, this ruling, it was actually pretty narrow. It was more so along the lines of education-related benefits. Uh, It upheld a district court ruling that the NCAA is in violation of antitrust law by placing limits on education-related benefits. The decision allows for unlimited compensation to athletes as long as those compensations are in some way connected to the student's education. So it is just limited to education benefits and not on that wider business practice of the NCAA. But... In writings from uh, Neil Gorsuch Gorsuch and uh, Brett Kavanaugh, basically they said, you guys, you need to go for it. Like this was a narrow decision for this piece, but if you brought us the wider argument, we're probably going to side with you. So this is opening the door for potential payment for college athletes. And we know that about 19 states now have laws in place that will provide benefits and allow student athletes to, you know, make money off their likeness, but we're getting closer and closer to the country as a, as a whole opening up the doors for college athletes to get paid. And it bears the question, are we at a point now where we're very close to seeing the NCAA go away? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that the NCAA will ever completely go away, but it's definitely going to be different than what we've known up to this point, which is a good thing in a lot of ways. Because the NCAA, as we've talked about many times, one of the most crooked organizations there are in any sport on any level. But, um, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting to see. And it's kind of a slippery slope now as you start opening up more things and giving athletes how they can get paid and what they can get paid for and where this goes. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting. You know, it's going to be really, really interesting to watch this play out in the next few months. Yeah, if, if it gets all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, that's – that means it's big, big deal. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, obviously, as we get closer to the college football season, uh, we'll be previewing the uh, the Mizzou team as they get ready to start playing the SEC. Uh, Coach Drink has gotten a lot of great commits again, uh, so we hope to have him on here very, very soon. We want to tease an interview that we're going to have coming up next week, uh, and this is playing right into the themes of the Midwest bias that we're presenting here on the Toasted Tavern. Scott, do you want to tell everybody who we have joining us next Monday? We have somebody joining us next Monday. I think so. Yeah, that's on my calendar, right? Who do we have? Uh, isn't that Joel Goldberg? Oh, it is. Sorry, Joel. I, I was playing that up a little bit. Yes, Joel Goldberg is going to be joining us. Uh, people from St. Louis will know him from his days in Fox Sports Midwest. He's been uh, working with the Kansas City Royals for Fox Sports Kansas City for the last, I think, fifteen years now, something like that. <sighs> He's also done a lot of public speaking. He's also written a couple of books. So he's a uh, pretty busy guy, a pretty popular guy, and it'll be pretty exciting to have Joel Goldberg on with us. It certainly will. Somebody that, like you said, we know here in St. Louis. Uh, he was a big fixture on Cardinals and Blues broadcast for a long time as well, and uh, he's done a great job over in Kansas City. We cannot wait to have him on. And like I said, this is going to play right into – what Toaster Tavern is all about. And and before we get out of here, I just kind of want to give you guys an overview of what we really are. 
you know, we are a Midwestern show. We're, we're not just going to be that East West coast bias that you're going to get from every other sports angle. Okay. We're going to be hitting everything in the Midwest. We're not flyover country anymore. Okay. We are big time champions are born in the Midwest. That is what this show is about. And yes, we are going to focus mostly on St. Louis because that's where we're based. We love our St. Louis teams, but that doesn't mean we can't show love to, to Kansas city, the Royals and the chiefs. We can't go up to Chicago and yes, God forbid me. I'm going to say, give love to the Chicago Cubs or the white Sox or the bulls or the Blackhawks. We're going to talk about them because this is the Midwest and we need to all be together. We're going to go up to Minnesota and green Bay. We're going to go down to Nashville and Memphis and we're just going to hit everything in the Midwest because we want our teams to be lifted up into the spotlight. No more New York's, no more L.A.'s. Let's talk about the Midwest, and that's what this show is going to do. So we're going to not just bring you stuff from St. Louis, but we're going to give you stuff from all over the Midwest. So make sure you come and join us every night at 9 o'clock here on Facebook, YouTube. We're all over Twitter and Instagram as well. We're going to have a lot of great things for you. And, and Scott, I just can't tell you enough how excited I am to be able to continue this with you. Me too, man. You know, it was, it was weird not doing this for a while. It was good to be back tonight. Uh, it was fun. It's nice to have some new partners with us and it's going to be exciting to see where this goes. And uh, yeah, we're going to cover, like you said, we're going to hit the Midwest hard and you hit all the sports teams except for the bears in Chicago. So bears Ooh. fans, we will be covering the bears a little bit too. We're not just going to exclude them. So yeah. Sorry, that, those, there was forgotten his Mitch Trubisky's career. Oh, <laughs> there was forgotten his Trubisky's career. <laughs> poor Mitch. The poor guy's not even in Chicago anymore, and he's still getting buried. Oh, man. Hey, you know what? I'm rooting for the kid. I, I think he got a poor, poor shot in Chicago, and the fact that he's in Buffalo now and he's getting to play with Josh Allen in, a, in an air raid offense, for uh, essentially, I'm pulling for him. I hope, he's, I hope he finds success in Buffalo, and I hope that allows him to get another starting position somewhere in the league because he got the short end of the straw. Uh, in that one. And honestly, I, before he went to Buffalo, I was pushing, pushing for him to go to New Orleans and learn under Drew Brees. I thought that offense, that that stadium, that area was built for Mitchell Trubisky. It didn't happen at that point, but maybe in the future you could see him down there playing for the Saints. I'd love to see that for Mitchell Trubisky. So guys, thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it so much. Make sure you come back with us every weeknight at 9 o'clock. Follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Make sure you follow Toasted St. Louis on all those as well. And be on the lookout for a lot more great content for both Toasted St. Louis and Toasted Tavern. For Scott Tobin, for Tom Franklin, for Blues Fan Reacts, I am Wags. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow night.